Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for joining us on one of the 42 radio stations on iTunes, on YouTube, or maybe you're listening on the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, we have a very interesting show for you today. We're going to talk about retail and retail real estate. So first, we're going to talk about the investment sales market, check out volume and cap rates and things going on there. From there, we're going to look at the holiday sales forecast. Are we going to have a great holiday season? It seems like I'm already seeing ads, right? Television ads. I'm already seeing decorations. So, so maybe we're going to have a big holiday season. Uh, that would be great. Then we're going to talk to a major developer who's doing some very interesting projects around the country, and we'll get some intel from them. Then we'll wrap it up with a retail investment broker, get a first-hand look at the market. Please welcome my first guest is Kevin M. Bowden. He's director of research with RC Analytics. He's uh, with us on the phone line here. Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Hey, pleased to be here, Michael, as always. Well, great. We always appreciate your insight. Uh, you guys do a great job of, of tracking the investment market. And uh, so where is volume? It seems like from our shop, and, and we sell shopping centers and things in the southeast, it uh, seems like it's really picked up. Where's volume year-to-date? Well, that anecdotally seems to be the case. And if you would have asked me off the top of my head, I would have said it. By all means, it's picked up. But then looking at the hard numbers, we're actually probably going to finish the year a little bit down if we were projecting to the end of the year. Last year, we were looking at about $88.3 billion in volume across the country. As of right now, we're about 66.8, and that's all retail types, the, the entire country included. So odds are, unless there are a couple massive unannounced sales between now and the end of the year, we're probably going to come out a little behind last year, but that's... That's really no shame considering how we're even far ahead in both years of 2007. Yeah, so how does the volume compare to kind of that hot market back in 07? So last year was, in fact, the best retail sales year in the U.S. we've ever recorded. Okay. And so there's a lot of, informa- there's a lot of information going around, a lot of investment and capital that needs to happen still. Yeah, it reminds me of the old song, uh, when you're hot, you're hot. <laughs> That's right. And, and in general, the market is pretty hot right now. So. Yeah. Well, so what is, where's all this capital coming from and uh, debt and equity? Uh, what's, what's providing all this demand? So there are many different sources, as always. can never be anything completely simple. <laughs> There's a lot of overseas capital that's coming into the U.S. right now. We've seen it across multiple sectors and that's a lot of investment coming from east asia there's some investment coming from western europe and these can be pension funds these could be large investment companies that are trying to diversify and then of course there's plenty of money in the u.s that's moving the markets around too blackstone's been very acquisitive this year for example okay and what are they looking for where are as most of the demand uh, focused uh, what types of properties So there's still a lot of investment in the generally core markets. Those primary markets are still compressing, interestingly enough. Some of those cap rates have become very, very tight. And so we are starting to see a good amount of spillover into the secondary and even tertiary markets now. I think for an example, and I'm probably going to run ahead to a a question you're going to ask me later on, But regarding cap rates in some of these secondary markets, even from the last time I appeared on your show, Michael, 
we've seen some compression in some of these secondary markets where they've come down to probably a good quarter to half a percent in some of them. That's a pretty big swing in just a few months. Yeah, that is for a few months. And so give us some examples of these cap rates in some of these markets. So we're looking at, if we're going to take into account maybe the inner city and the large mall assets, at best, a high five. I think it averages to a high five across those types, but we're still seeing, a, there was a little uptick maybe earlier in the year, and now they're compressing back down again. Strips, interestingly enough, have been on this sort of long-range decline as far as caps have gone. We're looking at probably at the depths of the crisis around an eight and a half for a retail cap, which sounds wonderful now because now for strip centers, we're down to at best a high six and they're trending downward still. Wow. So would that include uh, grocery anchored centers in your forecast, in your numbers? That's correct. Grocery anchor centers are helping pull those strip caps down because those still have a lot of attractiveness for a lot of the major REITs that are investing in that sector. Okay. And is that one of the property types in retail uh, that is hot? Is that one of the things that people are are really looking for? Is is the demand kind of spread over all property types in retail? It's spread a little more overall. I think people are starting to look around a little bit more like, well, should we diversify into maybe some retail properties that aren't the typical? Because a couple years ago, when things were not looking quite so positive, there was a lot of investment going into those grocery anchored strips. That, that was what everyone talked about because it seemed like a responsible investment. Everyone needs to go to that grocery store on a more or less daily basis those were going to be the kind of properties that are going to hold their value. So, of course, once caps compressed on those quite a bit, well, maybe we can look into some of these unanchored centers that might be a little underused, something like that. So now I think we have a little more diversification where people are shopping around. Though, of course, the grocery anchor still is very attractive for some. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the investment market in retail is very interesting because I think there there is a lot of opportunity because I guess it is seems like it's been the last sector to improve. And then there's a lot of things impacting uh, the retail market, right, with online sales and how fast that's growing. So I guess there are opportunities for investors uh, in retail. Absolutely. There are opportunities. I think the question becomes, especially looking toward the future, if you have a large center, how are you going to position the center to make it attractive? I hear a lot about that daily use part, which made the grocery store very attractive. It, there, there, are, there are other essential components here, too, though. Can you do things that will attract people to the store or to the center by maybe some non-traditional type planning? Will you have like a food truck event or something like that? Maybe the restaurants in the center may not be that uh, interested in doing that at first, they might find that it ends up driving traffic to the center entirely. People might show up just to see if there are food trucks there that day if they didn't check the website. So there are a lot of different concepts that I hear about frequently that could be of interest to retail center owners now in order to drive traffic to the center. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And uh, we're going to talk to a major developer later in the show and get some ideas of what they're doing because they have some successful projects. So so we have all these influences, uh, online sales uh, being one of the, the major components. So what do you think? And then we have interest rates that are expected to rise. So what do you guys expect for cap rates moving forward in retail? Well, I think it depends. I mean, it's 
that's the loaded answer, right? Because mm-hmm. when I don't really have an answer, I'm <laughs> going to say it depends, and I have to think about it. But as caps have compressed across all property types, I think the rate of compression seems to be slowing a little bit. I don't have the hard stats on me to say that definitively, but anecdotally it would seem that way, that, okay, we still have this gentle compression that's going on in, in some of these secondary markets where there are still deals to be had. They aren't quite as rough as the primary markets if you're looking for deals. And I think there's some understanding that maybe for certain retailers who want to be in certain markets, they feel like there's a little bit of undersupply, that there are properties that, if they had in their minds, would exist, like in good primary locations with a, with a good renovation, recent renovation, they would be interested in going into those properties. So that could be another example of where there could be value is, hey, maybe you buy a property that's underperforming, try to do a redevelopment, and then put it back on the market. Yeah, that's a good point. I think the, there are some tenants that are expanding that would like some great locations that uh, are having trouble finding them. Well, Kevin, what are some of the other factors that are impacting the, the retail market today? Well, I think one thing that we trying to predict, and it's very difficult to, is what about some of these mergers and acquisitions that have happened in the past year, and will there be more of them? As caps have compressed, again, in the primary markets, the idea that you could just place a ton of capital in one asset and get a good return, that simply isn't the case any longer. You could probably, if you have a very long investment horizon, do that. But for some investors, they need to place a lot of capital at one time. And in order to do that, well, maybe you could place a couple billion by buying out a company, and instead of getting the three and a half, four cap on whatever asset it is in a primary market, you could maybe get a six or a seven by buying an entire portfolio. Now, of course, there are additional costs with that, but with that being said, that cap starts to look pretty attractive when you're just shopping around the primary markets and it's frustrating you're not finding the deal you want. Well, good point. We may see more of that. Well, Kevin, thanks for joining us on the show today. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Michael. Check out RC Analytics for some more information on the investment market. Stay tuned. We're going to talk with Jesse Tron on holiday sales forecast. Stay with us. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. Today we're talking about retail and retail real estate. You know, it seems like I've already seen holiday decorations at some of the the malls and stores around, and I'm also seeing uh, television ads already. So what are we going to see for holiday sales? Well, we have a spokesman from ICSC, Jesse Tron, with us on Skype. Uh, Jesse, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Always great to be with you, Michael. Well, we, we appreciate it. And uh, uh, so what are you guys seeing? What do you expect for holiday sales moving forward? Is it going to be a, a big season? Yeah, we're, we're expecting a, a really nice season uh, for, for retailers uh, out there this year. Uh, we, we have a couple of different touch points that, that we can get into. We have an uh, economic modeling forecast 
that's about 3.3%. Then we also did a consumer intention survey. But let's start with the forecast. At 3.3%, that's year-on-year -year growth, remember. So last year was around 3.9. So to do a 3.3 on top of a 3.9 is actually really, really uh, a, a nice increase and incredibly strong. And what we're seeing is basically all of the macroeconomic indicators are pointing to the reason for that 3.3% growth rate. We have a, a decreased uh, gas prices. And the important part with gas is that it's been decreased for a long, sustainable period of time. And that's what really makes a difference when we talk about the addition of discretionary income back in consumers' pockets. Remember, a penny drop in gas can mean a billion dollars back to consumers, but you need to see that over a sustained period of time for the consumer to actually realize it, have that wealth effect, and then go out and spend from a retail perspective. Also, we're seeing pretty strong uh, job growth. It, it's not uh, outrageous, but it's steady. Um, and we're seeing a little bit, uh, some of the detrimental factors is that wage growth hasn't quite been there, but it's been kind of flat. So we don't think that that's gonna drag anything down too much. Uh, and some of the issues with global financial markets have also sort of steadied enough to the point where we don't see any of those being huge detrimental factors. The positive macroeconomic factors are gonna win out this holiday season. Well, that's interesting. And help us put it in perspective, Jesse. So 3.3 increase from last year, 3.9 the year before, but how does that compare to say pre-recession times? Yeah, so actually what, what that means is we're a point and a half above the 10-year average. So that, that goes all the way back, including the recession. So that means that if that 3.3 comes in uh, as we expect, and we were only a tenth of a percent off last year, uh, that, that's going to be a point and a half above that, that full 10-year average, which is really, really nice. And it is above the actual current pace for the fiscal year right now which is uh, running at 2.8%. So we expect that the holiday season, that November, December traditional holiday period is really going to help boost sales here at the end of the year. Well, that's good news. So what does the consumers tell you though in, uh, in your survey? Are they telling you that as well? Yeah, they're telling us that we actually may be conservative on, on our statistical modeling uh, because they're saying that they're gonna spend on average $702 this year. That's up from 677, uh, which is what they did last year. So actually, if all things play out the exact way, and again, this is a consumer intention survey, so this is what they are planning to do. Um, we'll find out what they actually do come the holiday season. But if they stick to that, and they are pretty good about telling us, you know, in the range that they're going to be at, we, we could even potentially be a little bit low on our forecast. So really the consumers are feeling uh, pretty positive about their overall station heading into this holiday season. And that's, that's hugely important. And we've seen that echoed in some of the other consumer sentiment uh, surveys that you do see out there from the government uh, and, and otherwise. And consumers overall are feeling pretty good and pretty positive about themselves and about their fiscal situation heading into the holiday season. And it makes sense with the financial modeling that you just spoke of. So how much of the sales is going to be in-store and how much maybe online increase in sales or maybe online ordering and an in-store pickup? Yeah, it's good. I mean, w without a doubt, omni-channel is sort of that buzzword that's here to stay. We expect it to play out exactly that way. 
this holiday season. The good news is for stores, 95% of the people that we surveyed said they are gonna go make a purchase in store. Um, so they will do some online shopping as well. They will do some of that click and collect uh, that you that you reference and actually smart retailers what they are going to want to do is really drive people more to that click and collect model and away from the you know order online ship to home uh, because actually 70% of consumers told us uh, truthfully they will most likely buy additional items not originally purchased on their online order if they pick up the item in store so retailers would be really smart to, to try and drive the consumer to their actual storefront uh, for additional purchasing. Yeah, that's interesting. And they're certainly doing that or, or doing that a lot more. So what else are retailers doing to boost sales in this economy? Yeah, we're, we're still seeing a very promotional season. Um, and I don't think that's changed. We've really seen that over the past few years, and it seems like almost every year it ramps up. You start to see those ads uh, and promotions uh, and TV spots earlier and earlier every year. And actually, consumers are responding to that. What's interesting is that we are seeing a lengthening effect across the entire holiday shopping season and really, truthfully, across the entire retail calendar. But since we're talking holidays, let's stick with that. Uh, two-thirds of consumers already started shopping uh, and will have or will have started shopping before Thanksgiving um, that's that's all you know without a doubt and most consumers though won't be finished only 7% said they're going to be finished by Thanksgiving or Black Friday uh, another two-thirds they won't finish until December 15th so we're seeing consumers that are starting earlier and then actually spacing out their purchasing across the entire holiday season waiting to find those deals. So we have a very, very savvy and educated consumer group out there right now. And they are looking uh, and being very, very proactive in finding those deals. So that's why you see a lot of the promotions uh, from the retailers earlier and earlier, um, but you're gonna continue to see them throughout the holiday season. And promotions, remember, that's a good thing. Those are planned promotional activity from the retailers. Uh, what you don't want to see is deep discounting after the fact. That would come later, maybe January or February. That would signal an inventory issue. But planned promotion, that's absolutely nothing, uh, no concerns there. Uh, the retailers have already scheduled that. They know exactly what they're going to do. Well, that's great, and I'm glad their shoppers are starting earlier and finishing uh, by the 15th. So when I got in the stores to shop Christmas Eve, I'll have the place to myself. I'll be able to talk to Spark the General Lee right in front, right? We're talking with Jesse Tron with ICSC. He's a spokesman there, and we're talking about the retail sales. And we're short on the break here, Jesse, but what is hot? What are people looking to buy? You know what the number one thing people are still telling us that they're going to buy? Gift cards, traditional in-store gift cards. Uh, believe it or not, 51%. Uh, that's what people are really looking to buy. It's a great gift uh, for a lot of people on your list. And also, it, it bears itself out in the economic data, too, because we're seeing that actually the share of sales decreasing slightly in November and December especially, but increasing in January and February, and that's a direct impact of gift cards. That's fantastic. Well, I like gift cards, right? So you give me a gift card. So now you're making me work. Now I got to go do my shopping. Jesse, hope we see you at the Southeast Conference ICS in Atlanta. Thanks for joining us. Joining us. 
Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Michael. Always good to see you and glad to talk holidays. Uh, We appreciate it. Well, stay tuned. We're going to talk to a major developer and get some insight from them. Stay with us. Would you like to shake hands with decision makers in your favorite commercial real estate sector? Visit interfaceconferencegroup.com for multifamily student and senior housing to net lease and healthcare conferences all over the country. Visit interfaceconferencegroup.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about retail and retail real estate. Please welcome my next guest. It's Mark Toro. He's with North American Properties. Now, North American Properties has been around since 1954. They've done $5 billion with a B uh, worth of property uh, development and acquisitions all across the country. Mark, thanks for joining us here in Studio One. Thanks for having me, Michael. Well, we appreciate it. And you guys have had some great developments, and, and it seemed like cutting-edge retail and mixed-use development. So I'm sure my audience has a lot of questions for you, but I get to be the one to ask them, right? <laughs> so experiential retail, I've heard that from you. Tell our audience about that. Well, it's I, I think in response to... Um to e-commerce to combat the fact that anybody can buy anything from anywhere sitting in traffic or on their sofa. Uh, And it's an opportunity for a retailer to create an experience to get people into the store. So think of the Apple Genius Bar or uh, cooking classes in Whole Foods, uh, yoga classes at Lululemon, uh, casting, fly casting at Orvis. Uh, It's the opportunity to get people out from behind their keyboards and into their stores and buying their stuff. Yeah, well, that makes sense. You got to get them out of the, got away from the keyboard, right? Away from their phone. Get them out there to the to the uh, places like Avalon that you guys have done and uh, Atlantic Station. And a lot of these projects are ones that I think people around the country have looked at. And uh, one of the things that you guys have have done well. Uh, and maybe breaking ground with it is social media. And tell us how you've used social media to drive traffic for your tenants and and just get awareness of your projects. Well, Atlantic Station probably was the best example early in the process. Five years ago, we acquired that asset that was deeply troubled. And we polled the community through social media, Facebook and and Twitter and even early Instagram um, and others, uh, what was it that they would like for us to do with that property? What, how would they like to see it remerchandised? How, they, how would they like to have the experience created for them? This is the community that we're, we're serving. And if, and if you haven't, if you don't know about Atlantic Station, it's 586,000 square feet, uh, the part that you guys have. And uh, it was a lot of retail mix restaurant, but it really wasn't doing well. So you guys had a big challenge to change that. And you did a good job. Right, it it was it was suffering, yeah. and we took it from about eighty percent lease down to seventy as we deleased, got rid of some non-performers. We uh, recently uh, got it to close to ninety-five percent lease, added one hundred and forty dollars a square foot in sales, which may be the most significant stat. Uh, but we, over that course, the course of about a five-year hold, uh, we led the industry in the use of commercial. Uh, sorry led the industry in the use of social media to drive sales for our retailers. That's a statement of fact because we had the highest clout score of any commercial property in the U.S. The Grove, Cosmopolitan, Mall of America. We use Twitter, we use Facebook, we use Instagram. Uh, We have a very active YouTube channel where we're seeing 150,000 views. Um, So whatever the, the, your weapon of choice is, 
we're we're going to serve you. So if you were to to come to Atlantic Station and tweet some customer service question, you would hear back from us in a few minutes, virtually any time of the day, any day of the week. That's amazing. Now, is that also working in conjunction with the omni-channel marketing that that your tenants are doing and that you're doing for your developments? It is. So uh, in in addition to the experiential aspect of the in-store shopping experience, um, each of our retailers is becoming online, or in some cases, online retailers are becoming bricks and mortar. So at Avalon, we have uh, Bonobos, which was a uh, strictly online retailer, and a number of others that started either in catalog or online. Uh, Soft Surroundings is another. Started in catalog and, or online, Athleta, maybe the third, uh, and then started to build bricks and mortar stores. So they had a very strong um, uh, e-commerce platform mm-hmm. that they added uh, physical stores to. And then obviously we're seeing the reverse as the case as well. Yeah, that's uh, really interesting. And uh, how did these type of tenants, whether they came from online in the beginning or they started at bricks and mortar and now they're doing more online and they're omni-channel marketing, how do they look at percentage rent when you guys bring that up? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was a that was a big battle yeah. uh, when this first came about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure how we deal with it in our lease, mm-hmm. uh, but I, it's, it's a relatively inconsequential piece of the puzzle. You know, who who gets the credit if you buy it online and return it to the store? Who gets the credit if you buy it in one store and return it to another in relative to the sales for that store? Uh, but it, it, it so far has not really risen to the profile that we're going to be concerned about it. Yeah, well, it's interesting because you guys do a great job of bringing traffic to these developments uh, with all the mixed uses and all the events and things that you do. So there's certainly some benefit to what you do that would increase sales and that you might need to be reimbursed for with percentage rent. And so I think it's probably going to grow in importance for the tenants and for landlords. Well, stay with us. We're going to have more. And I'm going to ask Mark about some of the tenants he's seeing and what, who's, who's expanding. What are sales? Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Realnex, providing a comprehensive suite of powerful commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low cost. Visit Realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about retail and retail real estate. We have Mark Toro here in Studio One with North American Properties. And Mark, you guys are dealing with these tenants uh, every day. Uh, well, how are they doing? Uh, are their sales per square foot improving? Are they? What What do you see? I think nationally, if you asked uh, a random sampling of retailers, you might get the sense that they're challenged. Uh, there are certain segments of the market that are being embraced by certain sub-markets, right? So, for instance, uh, the, the midtown Atlanta market might be different than a suburban market in, in metro Atlanta, different than, a, say, a Chicago suburb or, or uh, Southern California. And the, this consumer preference is driving the retailers that are expanding because the retailers that are doing well are those that are going to seek new locations. And who is expanding? So we, uh, we recently signed leases with Madewell and Bonobos, uh, two great brands that are resonating with today's consumer. Uh, there are lots of others who are maybe uh, more um, 
more top of mind, Anthropology, Lululemon, Free People, uh, their Whole Foods, uh, Regal Cinemas, a, a lot of those um, mainstays are continuing to do well. And then there are other retailers that are, uh, and I won't name them, that are more challenged um, with their sales and the, the, the embrace that they're receiving in the community uh, that are not expanding. Okay. And I have to ask you about Avalon because our listeners have heard about Avalon from other guests on the show. And if you haven't heard about Avalon, this is 8.3 acres. It is 2.5 million square feet of mixed-use space. But get this, this is about 20 or so miles north of downtown Atlanta. So this is the real suburbs, right? And, and But you guys are having some success there that you're getting rents that we're getting in the highest rents uh, in Atlanta. How are you doing that? Well, well, first of all, Avalon is what we call the, the region's first urban burb. So it's, a, it's an urban environment in a suburban setting at two and a half million square feet um, four-star full-service hotel conference center 500,000 square feet of office 526 multifamily residential units 101 single-family residential units 500,000 square feet of retail and 100,000 square feet of loft office Uh, each of those uses is is drawing energy from the other so the first phase is now open and operating almost a year the second phase starts construction in november and the the embrace by the the community has driven sales in the retail so we're we have retailers that are doing 12 ish hundred dollars a square foot we have restaurants three of them that are number one in their in their chains um there are um the the office space is is now 90 percent leased at buckhead rents and the single-family residential is selling at literally two times what it costs per square foot to buy a home nearby. And, and, that's, and that's key, and I don't want our listeners to, that around the country to, to get this. This is a mixed-use development where you guys are getting rents that are kind of double what any rent would be what, within three or five miles of that site. I mean, if someone's looking for office space in that area, you guys are the most expensive by far, and you're getting it. And the reason is because there's no other opportunity to have that street level experience. Um, I saw Don Wood recently with Federal Realty who, who says it best. If you get the street right, everything else takes care of itself. So those multifamily residential units that are leasing for two and a quarter a square foot, which is eclipsing Midtown and Buckhead rents, are doing so only because that resident can't have that somewhere else. And we're seeing a very interesting resident profile. These folks are... Um, average age in the low 40s and average household income of $250,000 a year, which is almost double what the average household income in the trade area is. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're trading in their lives in their suburban homes. They're selling the house in the, in the cul-de-sac and moving into an apartment so that they can have an urban lifestyle. Uh, that's interesting. And you also have events there, right, that, that bring traffic. So what kind of events do you have in a suburban market like that? Because I think of most mixed-use developments today of being more, more urban. So we, uh, we will this year, uh, and we're going to celebrate our first birthday in about two weeks, this year we'll have hosted 250 events. And they're everything from what we call Little Acorns, which is kind of a mom's morning out, go out into the plaza and bring your, your toddlers. Um, to significant events like uh, Derby Day, which is a very, uh, it's a kind of a horsey community, uh, Alpharetta, and the uh, Kentucky Derby is a big thing. So we, we are lucky enough to have what we call the open container policy, and you can walk from restaurant to restaurant with, a, with your cocktail and enjoy your day and your evening um, 
at your leisure. So um, the, the idea is to bring the community onto the property, expose them to the offering during the wintertime uh, or during the holidays. Uh, we build a skating rink exactly the same size as Rockefeller Center, and last year we had 40,000 skaters. Um, during the summertime, that turns into sort of an all-purpose event lawn. It, it's important to have those public spaces to bring the community onto the property so that they'll shop, dine, and recreate. Interesting. How much pushback, or did you get any pushback, from these retail tenants that uh, are going to be paying the highest rental rates uh, in a five-mile radius that anyone's ever paid uh, to start and, and move into a project like that and, and, and hope that it was going to work? Well, much like the traditional new-build shopping center, if you want to use that f- phrase, I don't, we, have, we don't use that anymore, yeah. uh, the, the retailer is going to look to his co-tenant, and he's going to look to the next one and the next one. It's kind of a, a lemming mentality. And they all hold hands and jump in the pool together. So we opened 55 retailers on one day, October 30th of last year. And each of those retailers was looking to the other to give them comfort that they were all going to coexist well together. And it's been successful. The second phase has, thank, there's only another 80,000 square feet to add to the 400 in phase one. Uh, so they have phase one sales to look to to understand what their rents can support. Well, congratulations. Uh, nice project. And I think a lot of people are looking at it all around the country. So, Mark, thanks for joining us. And stay with us. We'll have more on retail and retail real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. Today we're talking about retail and retail real estate. Please welcome my next guest. It's Frank Mayrath. He is with the National Retail Group at Bull Realty, and he sells shopping centers and retail properties around the southeast U.S. Frank, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Michael, for having me on the show. Well, we appreciate it. So you're on the ground level here. You're talking to buyers and sellers every day. What's the market really like? Well, it's very active. You know, on the institutional side, we uh, and as well as cross-border capital, we continue to see large assets being traded, large portfolios. Blackstone, which is of course always very active, it seems, they just acquired a, a large retail center, r- large retail portfolio from Prologis, which in turn had just recently acquired it as part of part of a larger group. So we continue to see that on the private capital side. You know, with you know the more retail investors, um, we are continuing to see it very active. It'll be interesting going forward as we've seen the low cap rates on the single tenant properties, if some of those investors migrate over to the multi-tenant space as they look for ways to increase their returns. Okay, so what is active? What are are buyers looking for today? Well, aside from things with the stability of cash flow, which is obviously a big portion of it, a lot of people are looking for you know that what we call value add, but the definition of value add has really changed a lot over the last few years. A few years ago, when you see value add, it might be a total restructuring of the property, whether it's complete lease up or complete change in the capital mix. Now it's much more subtle. You know, where can you add value? Can you enhance the rents? Can you retenant to improve the mix? And where's where can you drive value? Right. And I guess 
investors are really searching for yield. And we hear that, you know, the, the sexy six markets are always hot with the investors. But are you seeing more activity in the secondary and tertiary markets? Yeah, throughout the southeast is where I primarily conduct my practice. And we see a lot of capital coming from the north and from the west, as well as from overseas, as they look to chase yield and look for opportunities that may not be present in those, some of those other local markets just because the cap rates have been driven down so low. Um, in the southeast, you know, areas like Atlanta, where we're located, uh, Charlotte, Nashville have been some of the hottest markets, as well as like the Raleigh-Durham area, um, just because there's a lot of uh, room for economic growth and ec- economic growth happening. In the Florida markets, you have Orlando and Tampa, they're going to trade similar to the rest of the Southeast. Obviously, the South Florida and Miami markets are much more of a gateway um, with overseas capital and would trade uh, at, at the, the lowest cap rate range. Yeah. Well, speaking of cap rates, give us an example of, say, a nice core institutional um, property that's in one of those gateway markets. What cap rate would that difference would you see for that same property maybe selling in Nashville or Atlanta? Sure. Well, for the core, the absolute core properties, it's probably not going to be as much of a premium because you're going to have the same institutional players buying it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to also see um, it sometimes trade as part of a portfolio. But generally for the larger institutional uh, plays, it's going to be more in the low five to six cap rate range. Whereas on the private capital side, we're going to have more diverse um, buyer base. It's going to be in the six and a half to seven and a half cap range. Range, all things being you know, being equal, and as far as in premium, generally between 50 and 100 basis points, you know, uh, premium um, compared to uh, some of the, the gateway markets. Yeah, and what are your investors telling you about the future? How do they feel about retail when it comes to omni-channel marketing, online marketing? You know, kind of the uh, you know some people say retail's retail's overbuilt. Uh, what are your investors telling you? Uh, they seem to have a, a, a appetite. Right. Yeah, there, and certainly there's an appetite. Obviously, as the old saying goes, uh, retail follows rooftop. So as we see more growth, both in in-town markets throughout the southeast and the country, we see redevelopment and we see more retail coming in. And some of those is going to be repositioning retail. Um, we've seen big boxes get uh, you know, divvied up into to two spaces, for example, with the office supply stores, some of the spaces that they consolidate and bring it down. And this is an opportunity for investors. They're looking to reposition these to bring in new um, retail concepts into the market and potentially increase the rents of, of the centers. It's a great time to sell, isn't it? Yeah, our time's up. Well, Frank, thank you. And be sure and join us next week. We're going to talk about the multifamily market. So until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Realnex, a comprehensive and powerful suite of commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low price. Visit realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit Excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit CommercialSearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.